You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Okay, well, I'm joined today by Dr. Caroline Leaf. Uh, Caroline, it is an absolute pleasure to host you on the Freedom Pact podcast today. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Lewis. Thank you. So you've been in your field of study, uh, you know, a long time now. You've written many books. Your social media is reaching so many people. What problems are you trying to solve? <laughs> That's a great question. Okay, so I'm trying to really trying to help people understand the mind because our mind is what drives everything else and our mind is where our mental health comes from it's where all our our inspiration our creativity our life comes from so i as a scientist have spent almost 38 years now um, researching the mind brain connection and how to help people with this and then i've also practiced clinically for 25 years i've got a lot of experience there as well still do clinical trials all with the objective of trying to help people manage their mind which is cool it's the, it's the first base. <laughs> so this mind-body connection is something I was never really truly aware of until the last six months. Um, I've been dealing with some health anxiety and I was due to a couple of events that happened in my life. And I was almost convincing myself I had all these problems and I was in this cycle of negative thoughts. And then I was going back and forth the doctors, um, A&E at the hospital and they kept, you know, doing the test. They said, there's nothing wrong. You know, it's clear, it's clear. But to me, it was as plain as day. And then when they started exploring the the anxiety and, and getting into that and doing a few therapy sessions, it all sort of opened up to me that there really is that connection between the mind and body. Can you think of a, maybe a time in your life where that realization hit you? Well, it hit me. 38 years ago because I was actually when I sort of began my studies and I was in a neuroscience lecture and one of the um, one of our at that stage it was more it was our neurologist neurologist giving the lecture and he said that when you have a patient that's had brain damage or any kind of issue trauma whatever you can't repair the brain the brain can't change and therefore you just have to teach your patient to compensate and immediately that challenged me and i thought something's wrong here because we are constantly having new experiences as humans and we're changing all the time so that humanity this thing that we as humans are having experiences and we're constantly changing because experiences change that's mind and if mind is using the organ of the brain then there's a separation between the two which is what ancient philosophers have always said so 38 years ago I actually in this lecture was thinking that put up my hand and, and challenged the professor and said I can't see that the brain can't change it doesn't make sense for all those reasons we had a long philosophical discussion at the end of it I was told that's a ridiculous question but by the end of and I've done a TED talk by, by the way on the ridiculous question of mind brain neuroplasticity and so on the end of end result of that was that I started a, a research track looking at how what is the mind what is the brain? What is the relationship? And what level of control do we have? What does it mean for you as a human? How do you understand that in terms of your own experience that certain things have been happening in your life? So with your mind, you've been experiencing life and your mind shows up in your brain and your body. And 
your, this was a, obviously quite a challenging experience and messy. So that messiness landed up in your brain and your body and caused physical responses. And so that's what I've studied for all these years and showed the link. And it's actually pretty ancient research, um, but with, it's, it, you totally within your, uh, totally reasonable when you say that you hadn't heard much about this because it just seeing you, you very young and um, in the, the, the messaging that you would have received for, for most of your sort of adult life so far was that our brain makes us do everything. So it's like physical, 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 physical. So when we have these, they, didn't, they don't really talk a huge amount in the medical field as much as they should about the mind-brain-body connection. So yeah, that's what prompted me. And um, I have shown over and over with research um, that really our mind shows up and drives the brain and the body and the physical nature and how we then show up in life. And if we can understand that, we can actually capture that and we can reverse engineer and we can be empowered to get a level of control over how we respond yeah i think a lot of people probably find themselves in my situation where they haven't quite realized that connection i think it's quite commonly accepted that the the body affects the mind but not so much the other way around where the mind and your thoughts can affect the body can you almost literally think yourself sick Absolutely, because your mind is not your brain. Your brain is something completely separate from your mind, and it is, but it's dependent on your mind. So think about. I mean, I actually got. Let me grab my model of the brain. It always Perfect. makes yeah. It, it always makes it easier to see little models. Okay, so here's a here's a brain, and you know we've been told so much about your brain makes you do it. So if you have like any kind of emotional, but depression or anxiety, it's an illness. That's what we told. But is that really the truth? So it's not. So let me start from the beginning. This is a physical structure and you and I both have one working very hard at the moment. And whoever's listening to us is using their brain. And I say literally using their brain, their mind is using their brain. If we were, if we had a dead person propped up next to us, which sounds very, very, very weird, but if we did, that person's brain would be doing nothing. But you and my brain, if you were linked up to brain technology, we would see massive action lighting up and responses on an energetic and electromagnetic and genetic and chemical level we would see a connection from the brain down to the body we would pick up massive response so 24 7 as a person who's alive we are making our brain and body do stuff and that brain that mind brain body connection then is how we show up so um, in our in in our own life, you asked what high experience it in my own life. It started way back when I when I asked that question because I was also seeing here yeah, I'm working. Uh, I was doing an incredibly complex degree. It was two degrees that took seven years pushed into four years. So as a student, I was experiencing tremendous time stress of trying to get all this work done and working long hours and I could feel my, my gut issues and this issue and you know I could feel physically that this was playing a role so yes I did experience which is also a lot of the drive behind why I wanted to understand this difference so um, I don't know if you want me to dive into more detail but yes I experienced that and it was a very big part of, um, of I understood I could see if I'm calm and if I feel under control, my body feels different. But if I'm consistently battling to manage my time, I'm increasingly getting more issues with my gut. That was a really big area for me. And for years, I battled until I understood how to get my mind under control. And there was a direct change in my and in how my gut was functioning. You know, so that's just a, a simple example in my own life. 
Perfect. Well, I was first put onto your work when I heard you on uh, Lewis Howe's The School of Greatness podcast. Amazing, amazing podcast. Amazing. And I, I heard you guys talk about this study. Um, you were talking about discussing longevity. And you mentioned this study where you had these 30 year olds who presented the body of a 65 year old. In those people, I wonder what factors come into play to produce those kind of results? Okay, so this was, I've actually write about that case, that particular case study in this book. So that case study and the images and things are in that in this book. So what I did in my most recent clinical trial that's um, already been analyzed and is now busy being published and there's a white paper and stuff already up on my site um, if people want to go and have a look. So, but the summary is in this book. We've got two other projects running since then which are along the same lines. So essentially what these people, um, we are the, the subjects of the clinical trial were presented with various issues and they were randomly assigned to be in the control group and the experimental group. So the ones in the control group, they got no intervention, but all the same testing. Um, and it was psychological, narrative, blood work, um, brain stuff. It was a lot. So they had a lot of interaction with my team and it was double blind. So I didn't interact with them because I, I wasn't allowed to know, you know, you've got to keep bias out of research. The experimental group got all the same interaction and testing, but they also got a mind management system. In other words, they were empowered through an app on their phone, which is an app that, that I have available called NeuroCycle. They used that app and they then went back in between being at the clinic. They went and worked on managing their mind and et cetera, et cetera. So one of the, um, one of the elements that we looked at was biological age and versus chronological age. So chronological age is the actual age that you're at. And biological is if you look at the organs, you can tell whether your organs, the age of your organs and therefore your systems of your body. Ideally, you want them to at least match or you'd like your biological age to be younger, which then adds to longevity. Um, and there's various ways that you can do this. And there's been a lot of research around diet and exercise, which are logical. But what hasn't had enough research is the mind, because the mind actually drives the efficiency of the, of the nutrition and the exercise. If your mind's not right, you can lose up to 86% of the benefit towards longevity of that great nutrition and that exercise just because of that connection. So we've spent a, a great amount of time researchers on looking at the physical, but not sufficiently looking at the mind. So our subjects in this clinical trial we're, we looked at that at the right at the beginning, and we wanted to see where they were sitting on that scale. And you look, it's a complex process, but basically we look down to the level of telomeres, which are the ends of chromosomes um, on the DNA. Um, and that is a very, it's a massive body of research. Not, not, let me, there's a massive body of research on telomeres. There's a very small body of research on, the, um, on showing the link between my, how you use your mind and what happens to those telomeres. And, but the research that is, it's now starting to increase and my research is some of that, showing that, that you, can, you can tell a person's biological age and, um, and by the how they're managing their mind. So the, in other words, how you're managing your emotions, your behaviors, life, the struggles of life, how are you doing in that process? directly impacts your telomeres, which directly impact your cells, which directly impact your biological age, because your cells form your organs, which form your system, which forms your physical body. And so we found at the beginning of our study, those that presented with really sad stories and really poor uh, biomarkers, like, you know, high cortisol, high inflammation, really bad in the brain technology showed us like, you know, big issues there. Their biological age 
was old. They like they were sometimes sitting with between 20 to 35 and some even more bodies that were older than their chronological age. So for example, the case study in here, this particular person was presented in the mid thirties, but their body was of a sickly 65 year old. And within nine weeks of mind management, that reversed and they matched. So within nine weeks, which is phenomenal, there was a reversal of, there was a change in DNA. And that's a direct mind, brain, body link. Because DNA and telomeres are not just in your brain, they're in every cell of your body. So your brain and body collectively are made up of about 37 to 100 trillion cells. And every cell has telomeres. And so that means that, with the way you use your mind is affecting every single cell of your body, which is phenomenal. And it's not an instant quick fix. What I'm not talking about is what we hear too much about in the self-help industry, which is things like the law of attraction or positive thinking, or I'm going to think this positive thought, I'm going to say 10 positive affirmations, and now instantly my telomeres are long, I'm healthy, and I'm going to be fine. It doesn't work like that. It's completely time-based, and you know there's got to be a lot of cognitive linking between what you're going through and so on yeah i know there's a, a lot of people who maybe read the secret who might be a bit disappointed to hear that but yeah if we could just speak on that then what i heard you use this term before what do you mean by toxic positivity um so that's actually as funny enough i just did an interview about that um so toxic positivity is a term coined um probably a few years back by a couple of therapists and has become very much mainstream and it's a really good thing that it's come up and basically toxic positivity is very well intentioned statements that actually create a lot of um, dissonance in people and make them feel judged shamed and vulnerable so it's for example let's say that like you've just gone through a series of struggles you experience this in your body now let's say that doctors turned around to you and just said hey there's nothing wrong with you it's all in your mind you'll, you'll be okay that would have minimized your experience and actually made you feel like almost ashamed maybe mm. or embarrassed like oh gosh it's all in my mind I'm weak you know and so the, there's this there's toxic positivity that doctor or doctors and I don't need this happened to you I'm just you know guessing it could have happened because it's happened to so many people mm. is that that was potentially well-intentioned they're saying hey listen you're fine physically so you know it's all in your mind so it's not such a big deal but that was terrible because what you were going through your story was everything about you is being processed by your mind. Your mind is your ability to experience life. Your mind is your ability as a human, your aliveness to be in whatever you're going through and to think, feel, and choose about that and respond. And that's where that's the good and the bad and the ugly. And you were going through a series of struggles, as you mentioned, and those are being processed by your mind into your brain affecting your telomeres, affect, physically changing the, the structure of your brain. And that was causing, that had over time, it accumulated and caused a physical impact in your body, which was showing up intermittently. And so, a lot of our diagnostic testing is not medically, is not as sensitive as it could be. You know, so there's, there's ranges. So it's very possible that, you know, there's a range of normal. And it may be that you were presenting on the upper end, but it wasn't enough to to say that you've got x y and z but if you have a number of factors like if your homocysteine is on the high end but it's not in the danger end they'll say are oh, you fine there's a bit of information but it's not a big deal or and with all of the factors there's many things they could have looked at um and but but you know that something's wrong because just the mere fact that they have shifted beyond to that upper end is is 
is sufficient for you to feel different and for you to start experiencing. And over time, that could have shifted over to a problem, whereas you could have been proactive and et cetera, et cetera. So, so basically, we, we as, as, um, as, it's almost like we have to take responsibility, almost like not responsibility. Toxic positivity is dangerous in that that's an extreme example in the medical situation. Not extreme, sorry, let me rephrase it. That's a very real example of what can happen. The other thing is it could just be you're sitting with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your parent or your whatever friend and they tell you oh I had such a bad day at work and you know it was this and this happened and you turn around and you say oh that's you know what tomorrow will be better day you'll get through this it's okay and you want to like, throttle them because that's not the answer you needed that's toxic positivity that is a statement that's totally well-intentioned trying to make you feel better trying to you know fix the situation but what you really needed was to be able to be heard, that to get your complaints out and for them to rather say, oh, my gosh, that is awful what's happened. I'm so sorry. Like, you know, what do you need? How can I help you through this? You know, that, that you can sort of do you want to talk more, which is not toxic positivity because that person feels heard. They feel acknowledged, et cetera, et cetera. So toxic positivity is a desire to, to kind of get control um, over what we can't control because we feel more comfortable controlling versus so i don't know if that explains it yeah yeah that's amazing and relates so well to to anxiety and and how maybe people who don't understand it tend to to talk to you when you try to explain it um so i have this problem when i try and explain what it is but it'd be amazing if you know someone like yourself respected could just explain to our audience now who may not understand it how could you best explain what anxiety is and what it feels like you're asking excellent questions. I have to tell you, they're really good. Um, yeah, that's and that's a really relevant question as well because that's kind of the what everyone feels at the moment with COVID. Anxiety is tripled, and um, anxiety is you know it's become such a, everyone's talking about it. So anxiety, what it is, it's an emotion. It's not an illness. No emotion is an illness. Unfortunately, it's pitched as an illness. So um, it, the ICD, the DSM, these, these diagnostic manuals that are very unscientific, what they do is they have a list of symptoms. And um, so they'll ask you a few questions. You say, I'm feeling anxious. They'll ask you a few questions. Um, you know, are you not sleeping or you have panic attacks, whatever? There's a few little questions. If you tick those boxes, they say you have an anxiety disorder. Then you say, well, why do I have the anxiety disorder? And they say, oh, because you've got those symptoms. Then why do I have those symptoms? Because you've got an anxiety disorder. Can you see it? It's circular. So it's not telling you anything. And now you feel like you've got an anxiety disorder. So you've now got a brain disease. So now you feel worse. Throw all of that out the window because it's not scientific. It doesn't actually really help. Maybe initially the, the label of, oh, that's why I feel anxious. I've got a disorder. You may initially feel, you know, like a level of satisfaction, but it's almost like an empty gift. So the gift is nice to get, but you open it up always the gift because now what? So rather than look at anxiety as an emotion, which it is, you can't have anxiety. You can have cancer and diabetes, but you can't have anxiety. Anxiety is an experience. So you feel it. You, it's an experience. It's an emotion that you feel. And it's one of four signals that we as humans show up with. So anxiety is an emotion. So as a human, in any one moment, we show up with emotion, our behaviors, the way our body's feeling in response and our perspective. And there's a sort of general version of that. And then there's 
incidental as as per things per what's happening in our life so emotion would if anxiety would be fall, fall under that but with anxiety there may be frustration irritation generally if you say anxiety and you start going down the sort of list you'll see there's a lot of other emotions while you identify those associated emotions of the of that emotional warning signal you then see that your anxiety's got lots of other emotions attached to it then you'll see oh okay that's making me feel in my body gut issues tension heart palpitations oh actually that's making me withdraw have panic attacks behavior so um talking too fast um not talking isolating so you see you start seeing the links and then perspective those funnel into your perspective which is gosh i'm looking at life like it's really hard it's tough i'm overwhelmed so i've got four and even that is is now giving us details around the anxiety. So anxiety, therefore, is one of four signals of how we show up. When we grab that anxiety and we embrace it and see, okay, it's one of four signals. It's not who I am. It's how I'm presenting in this moment. It's got all these elements that it's attached to that I've just described. It's one of four signals. It's got lots of other things, emotions attached to each. It's coming from something. These things aren't just random. The way you and I show up every day is not random. It's coming from a thought. So a thought produced that. And that thought is coming from an experience. So we track back to your initial um, opening description of the fact that you went through some experiences and you had physical responses. So the experiences became were wired into your brain as a thought by your mind. So your mind takes your mind's work is to experience through thinking, feeling, and choosing generates energy and it takes that and puts that into the brain as a physical thought that looks like a tree and it's made of proteins and chemicals and energy and all that stuff so it becomes a real thing and then your mind works with this tree thing that you've grown and affects your telomeres and your cells and all that stuff and now you've got a relationship and then that produces what you say and what you do and so if that's the case I can then look at the emotion of anxiety knowing it's coming from this structure in my brain and my body, knowing it's coming from an experience. So I can do some reverse engineering. Instead of saying I have an anxiety disorder, which is not telling me anything, it's tautological, as I mentioned, it's circular reasoning. I can rather say, okay, I'm increasingly anxious, find those signals, track it back to the thought. That's the way I'm thinking. And the thought came from an experience which is stored in the thoughts. So I can reverse engineer and find that and say, okay, well, that's what's happened to me. Now, what can I do about that? It's real. It's happened to me. COVID's happened. The pandemic's happened. It's still happening. There's isolation. There's loss of finance. There's loss of contact. It's disturbed everyone. It's increased everyone's anxiety because of the uncertainty and all those factors. This is what's happened. This is why I'm feeling like this. I'm not crazy. I'm not mentally ill. I don't have brain damage. I'm not doing this because I've got some hidden weird thing in my brain that's not jumped out. I'm doing this because I'm human and it's been awful this experience and it's very normal to respond to adverse experiences with increased anxiety and changes in behaviors and all that stuff that I've just described. So when we normalize our response to an adverse experience, we then are empowered to do something about it. And that's the kind of thinking that I do did with my, for example, in my clinical trials and the work I've done with my patients and so on, is to say, okay, where are we at? What are your symptoms? You can start with your symptoms, but rather instead of saying symptoms, look at your signals, emotions, behaviors, blah, blah, blah. And then it's, okay, well, what are you, what's it that attached to you? 
Where's that come from? What's the experience? Okay, so that's your story. We're never going to change your story, but we can change out how it plays out now inside you physically. So you can rewire your brain, which is neuroplasticity, which then means you can change how it plays out into your future. And that's essentially what how we can manage our anxiety. Amazing. Well, I really appreciate the you know the, the definition there. and I think it's really important to define things as we go along for people and as soon as you you mentioned your book there there are a couple of terms I'd love you to define for us what do you mean by messy mind messy brain messy body I love it it's almost like you're reading what's what's been happening in the atmosphere for the for the last 24 hours I was asked that question by um, someone around your age, and I'm guessing you were 20s yesterday. So um, that exact that exact question: What is messy mind, messy brain, messy body? Okay, so mind is this this almost intangible thing that is our aliveness. So mind is your ability to experience this conversation. And when I say experience this conversation, the experience is this interview. And it's your mind that enables you to intellectually hear what I'm saying, think about what I'm saying, um, feel the emotions associated, make decisions. And you're doing that very fast at 400 billion actions per second. Okay, so that's kind of what mind is. If we look at it on a physics level, we would be able to pick up the gravitational field that's around you and through you. And like an electromagnetic field, gravitational field, all of that. If you were dead, None of that exists. Okay, so mind definitely activates a physical energetic response in the brain and the body. I use, for example, QEEG in my research, and that's we put little things on people's heads and you can read the energy response in the brain. You and I would have lots of responses happening now and firing, a dead person would have none. So I keep saying this because that's what mind is. Our mind is the first thing. It grabs the stuff, processes it, mixes it, puts it in the brain. The mind needs the brain. Without the brain, the mind can't function. So the mind needs the brain to use to build the little thought so that you can speak and do et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so if I have a, a day where I wake up and I'm really into bed, I didn't have a good night's sleep. And then I go to a meeting and it's a disaster. And then I have an argument with my best friend. And then um, I go, there's something that I'm trying to achieve and the goal is not achieved and it just goes all wrong. And then... I have this awful lunch that tastes terrible. I mean, I'm just, honestly, that's just a bunch of day, one thing after another, which is just, it's a lousy day. That's a messy day. And, you know, we, we can get more and more and more worked up. And so our mind is getting, taking each experience, it's processing it into the brain. It's making like a messy thought. So it kind of looks like this. It looks like a messy tree. I use these trees all the time versus something that the opposite of all that happened, I would be building a healthy thought because thoughts look like trees in the brain these little branches you see are the dendrites on the neurons we all know about neurons so it's the dendrites on the neurons and that's where our experiences go but uh, so um essentially if if our mind is not if we just keep going from one lot of messiness and oh, i hate this library and it's just like negative and that's a mess, messy mind in the moment it's building a mess in the brain and that's going to affect our telomeres and it happens in an instant now if i do the same thing tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And I just getting that's my life. So I just moan, complain. And, and, and I'm not judging anyone. I'm just saying that, you know, you could be going to hell and that's why it feels like it's just all consuming. But if you just keep immersing and, and landing up in that, in that consuming 
I hate everything. It's just terrible. It's one thing. It just gets worse and worse because negativity breeds negativity. So this toxic issue that you're building in will then draw up one from another one and another one from the non-conscious mind. So it's sadness breeds sadness. Negativity just pulls up associated thoughts. So I'm immersed in a bath of negativity and that's my perspective of life. And that's very messy. And that, that is built into the brain. And this is proteins that are not folded correctly this is chemical imbalance this is inflammation this is an immune system freaking out and trying to fix this so messy brain if that's happening in the brain my body's messy the telomeres are being affected so over time in these cycles of actually 63 days it's not it happens instantly that the changes but that you won't feel the change you won't feel the impact of negativity or messiness or unmanaged mind in the first 24 hours or even the first three days or even the first you'll start feeling it within three weeks but by nine weeks you've established a very strong pattern and you're going to find that now that's a habit so it becomes more difficult to change it and then that then kind of breeds another but if but that means that I can also take that concept and I can reverse engineer it over cycles of 63 days as well so messy mind messy brain and body and remember, I said earlier on that whatever we say and do doesn't come from some random fresh air, whatever. Everything you say, everything you do, everything you feel in your body and your perspective comes from a thought. So that means that if this is messy, it produces messy words, messy emotions, messy actions, messy interactions, messy relationships, messy. That's what I mean by that. But if you catch that, you can reverse it. And that's why I talk about cleaning up the mental mess in my latest book. It's the name of my podcast. Um, it's the foundational thing that it's okay to be messy. It's going to happen. You're going to have messy days, but the point is to recognize it and to manage it. So you don't have to stay in the mess. It's okay to be messy as long as you manage it, if that makes sense. I love it. I love it. It's amazing. And I think everyone listening now is thinking, well, Caroline, I don't want a messy mind. And of course I'd encourage those people to, to check out your latest book. I'll leave a link in the description. But for those people listening right now who they want to tidy their mind up, there it is. For people who want to tidy their mind up, where is the best place to start? That's, you know, as again, once again, an excellent question. It's basically a lifestyle decision. So um, there's two, two ways that you can approach this. The one is allocate a fixed amount of time every day. And honestly, as little as 15 minutes will work, maximum 45. So somewhere between 15 and 45 minutes that you allocate each day um, for, for 21 days. And then for the next two cycles of 21, so for the next 42 days, you just need three to five minutes. So, and you that's a cycle of 63 days. What are you doing those in that time? You're going to deliberately and intentionally go through a mind-brain process. So it's where you change this, you rewire the brain, basically. That's what you're doing. You're finding, you, you, I'll tell you how in a moment, but you're basically rewiring the brain through systematic process um, of how you can get these things out <laughs> and change them. Um, and that you do, that very kind of rigid sequence you do um, for stuff that's established so if you recognize there's a definite pattern in your life like maybe you are constantly ruminating and overthinking those generally go together and then that leads to overgeneralizing and just like life's terrible or you are really anxious all the time that you just feel like you know name it or you're worrying about body image or you're worrying about your business so it could be an emotion that you pick it could be a, a body symptom 
it doesn't matter. There's something, the way you describe it's not important because we can unpack it. But it's, what's established? What's a consistent thing in your life? So start there and ask yourself that question. I pretty much can guarantee you'll find at least five or six, maybe even 10. So then just write those down in your phone or whatever, just in your note section or whatever you want to do. Just note those down. In You can just put them down and then go back in and prioritize. Which one is the worst one? And you know, work out your sequence. So maybe you find three, and then which is the top one of the three? And that's where you start. And that's the one you're going to work on in the cycle of 63 days. And you might find that after 63 days, there's massive change, but you realize I need this still more work that needs to be done. So you just continue another cycle and another cycle until you're done. Like sometimes you'll find that you know you're in a new relationship and there's this consistent anxiety in that relationship about intimacy or about commitment or something and this has happened not once it's happened maybe multiple times so you see okay that's a pattern that's worrying me because i really now i really like this person i really would like to get into a deeper relationship with them but this is constantly blocking me that's something that i would then dedicate this kind of time frame to don't work on it all day because it's exhausting. And that's the worst thing you can do because you, you don't want to do that. You want to be very disciplined and say, okay, there's an established pattern. I'm dedicating 15 to 45 minutes. I'm doing the system and I'll do it over 63 days and give myself the time and more if I need and be patient with myself and that you'll see daily changes in your relationship as you do that. So that's the one side. The other side is that the messiness of, of the day. You get, wake up in the morning full of energy, so excited, and you get this email and you are fuming. And now you've got to calm down because as soon as you're in, in that state of anger or frustration or irritated where you're ready to like, you know, throw someone over the side of a building or something like that, metaphorically speaking, but you just feel so angry, you're now reactive. So you're not going to make a good decision. So you need to know how to create the space to get into a point where, where you're calm enough to be a get perspective. So you can use the same system, but quickly. So instead of not doing it over this long period, because it's not a pattern, you're just dealing with an in-the-moment issue, you can use the system that I've developed called the NeuroCycle as a hack, as a mind hack, where you can now basically take that, that issue and say, okay, let me, take a, let me just take a deep breath, which calms down our neurophysiology. And there's many different ways to calm your neurophysiology. And I put that in the book and I've got an app as well. I can show you the, the little thing. I've got an app where all the stuff I'm teaching is in the app and in the book called NeuroCycle. Um, you just, as you read the email, allow yourself to vent. Take some breaths, which calms your neurophysiology down. My favorite breathing exercise is in for three, out for seven. Deep breath in where your stomach moves out, out for seven where you whoosh it out. Do that six to nine times. That pushes oxygen to the front of your brain, which will then increase blood flow, increase balance, and you will shift from reacting to responding. Reacting is never a good thing. Responding is much more of, of a wise place to be. When you react in anger, the blood flow drops, oxygen drops in the front of the brain, you get asymmetry and all kinds of other things go wrong, telomeres, et cetera. There's a whole cycle, but those three are enough, and your decision-making will be very poor. So you want you don't want to get into that state and, and you know make ration, send off that email that you oh wow, how on earth did I send that text or that email or say what I said. If you can learn to master this neurocycle as an in-the-moment hack, it's phenomenal. You get power and you get control back. So you would literally then instead of reacting, do that breathing, go through the five steps, which we can talk about now, and get yourself back on track. And then your answer may be, okay, this is really irritating. You might be saying this in your head. But because you're in a business meeting, you can't yell at the person and you want to, you just say, okay, I'm tabling this for now. 
I'm not going to give you an answer now. I will give you an answer by the end of the day or whenever it suits you. Um, and then you go and do your processing, do whatever you need to do to get the best way of responding, et cetera, et cetera. In the midst of a relationship, you may be in a conversation with someone you really love and you have an argument and it's so easy when you love someone to say the wrong thing. You can do the same thing. You can apply this as a hack. You in about to go into a podcast interview, but you get an email that throws you off completely, some potential tragedy or something that's, you know, throws you off. That is not something that you can do much about in that moment, but you have to keep your head on to do an interview. You can do this. So that's what I'm saying. So it can be used on two, those two levels. And the third level that the system I've developed can be used on, which is super helpful, is building resilience. Now, all these other two things do build resilience, which is natural. It's not a list of traits. Resilience is naturally part of us. We just have to activate it. So managing our messiness is how we activate resilience. So the one way is the established patterns. The other is the hacks. The third way is building your brain. And building your brain means your brain needs to be grown. It literally is hungry for growth. And so these little branches keep wanting to add more. And so every day you wake up with new, it's called neurogenesis with new nerve cells, and they need to be put into networks. And the more you build knowledge in your brain about things that you love and are interested in, the stronger the, found, the, the networks of your brain become. So all that sort of circuitry of your brain becomes really strong. And you think, well, what's that got to do with resilience? A huge amount. Because um, when you are, um, when you, by doing that, when you do hit the daily struggle or the established pattern, you are that much stronger mentally and physically because of brain building. It's one of the surest ways of building mental health resilience that is unspoken about. That's why it's a huge part of what I teach. And with all my patients, when I did therapy, when I was still practicing and now trained certified facilitators and therapists and so on, is the first thing I would do would be to first help a person understand identity. The second thing would be brain, brain building resilience. Then we would deal with the issue whatever the issue was. And that's something you can apply to yourself, you know, first get yourself in that space. So you can do all those, all three of those things you can do at once. And I do, I mean, in sort of in cycles in a day. And I have a chapter in here, chapter 14, where I show you how you can build all of this into your daily routine without changing your daily routine. In fact, I can guarantee when you do this, your productivity will increase dramatically. Just a bit of getting used to, but it's a surefire way of increasing your productivity and creativity. Amazing. Well, I'm sure everyone's ready to, to dive into those five steps, go out and get the book. Could you just a quick elevator pitch, just remind us of those five steps um, with the time we have left? Absolutely. So basically, um, over 38 years, of, as I keep saying, I've done research looking at the mind-brain connection. So in that process, I, I, what I wanted to understand was how do these thoughts grow? So how do we take an experience to a thought to how we show up and how do we reverse engineer that. So the neurocycle is five steps that are based on that research. So they're heavily scientific steps, but they're super simple. But you've got to do all five and you've got to do them systematically because that is the order that your brain wires in. And your brain's just a physical organ. It's like a computer works in a certain way. You can't, you know, you can't not switch a computer on and think it'll work. You have to switch it on to make it work. So this is kind of what you do with the neurocycle. You're switching your mind-brain connection on and you're controlling it. So you're controlling how you want the direction to go. So each step is doing this incredible, it's helping you to monitor um, through taking that experience and putting it in the brain in the way that you want, or it's taking that existing experience that you don't like and changing it into this. 
And just very quickly, this analogy, look over here, this is toxic, this is messy, this is the established pattern or whatever, um, and or the trauma. Now, when I do this process of the neurocycle, this is, this is going to get very weak, very small, very light in color, and this will take over as you embrace, process, and reconceptualize. So you still, your story never goes away. You know, what happened to you doesn't, the past doesn't change, but how you see it, view it, manage it, and how it plays out in your future, that dominates. So eventually, this is what we're looking for, this kind of transition. So it's not a matter of a positive affirmation of, I'm going, that's bad thought, I'm just going to replace it with this. That's a Band-Aid approach. Affirmations aren't bad things, but they are bad if you use them in that way. But if you use them as part of a process of embracing, processing, and reconceptualizing, you can use them in step five of five steps. That's just to give you an example. So, you, you know, you, you wake up in the morning and you just say five gratitude statements or you stand in front of the mirror and you've got a bad image of your you know really bad sort of body image and you just say you beautiful you wonderful but you don't really believe it that's cognitive dissonance it won't really work you've got to embrace process and reconceptualize then you can do those statements when you've done the work okay so the five steps birds eye view is that in order for us to change any pattern or any or to use the hack effectively we need to bring what's non-conscious into the conscious mind so most of what we do in a day is driven by the non-conscious mind. The non-conscious mind works 24-7, and that's where all of every single experience you've ever had, good, bad, and ugly, are stored. The non-conscious mind is, is waves, and in the brain, the non-conscious mind shows up as these thoughts. So we've got forests in our brain and waves in our mind, and the two work together. And those drive us. And so we consciously awake when we, when you, your conscious mind operates when you're awake. So what we want to do is we want to bring stuff into the conscious mind, the things that are happening automatically and intelligently, but automatically, we often say without thinking, like we drive without thinking, but if you drove without thinking, you'd have a car crash. You're never not thinking. It's just that you are either being driven non-consciously or non-consciously and consciously. So I want you to be driven consciously and non-consciously. So that means we need to self-regulate. So the five steps, the neurocycle, the five steps are called the neurocycle because you're cycling through your brain neuro, is to teach you how to stand back, observe how you are showing up, and then find the thought behind it and get to the, the, the experience and change it. So you've got to, first of all, gather awareness of your signals and as you gather awareness of your signals what does that mean what are your emotions what are your behaviors what are your body symptoms what are your perspective when you do that you start pulling this thing up into the conscious mind now we know from neuroscience that as soon as i'm aware through those signals i've brought something up i don't know the details yet but it's weakened so physically in the brain these protein bonds which were very very tight in the non-conscious as soon as i'm consciously aware of them they've actually weakened so this has become changeable so now i am in control i can start changing this so over time over these 15 to 45 minutes sessions each day for the first 21 days and then three to five minutes for 42 days what you're doing is destabilizing this and taking all the energy out and rebuilding so the gather awareness starts the process then as soon as you've gathered those you then reflect what is and i said this kind of earlier on there's anxiety when you ask the anxiety question. But what else is anxiety linked to? What else is on there? Um, my body symptoms, what are they to describe them? What are my behaviors? What are what are those what perspective of those are those creating? So the reflex step is the getting more details behind those signals and then asking the why question. You know, what are the thoughts that these so what is the detail of this thought? So you starting to get into what the thought is. Then you write that down. When you write, you 
bring clarity. It's like putting on windscreen wipers when you're driving through the rain. So the first two steps, it still feels like you're driving without windscreen wipers. And then the third step, when you start writing, you start, oh, wow, look at this. As you write, it causes the brain to work together and the body to work together in such a way that you pull up stuff from the non-conscious into the conscious mind in such a way that you see things that you didn't see before. So it's a phenomenal process. The two steps of writing. The first step is just pour it on paper, like vomit up anything. Doesn't matter if you think it's unrelated, whatever comes to mind that you gathered and reflected on and that's now coming to mind as you write down what you gathered and reflected on, put it down on paper and you'll see there's a whole system that I have developed that helps you do this called the metacog and there's a video and it's in the app and the book. Then the next writing step is look at what you've written. So you're still on paper, you get another color and now you're going to start, start looking at, okay, this is what's happened. I now have clarity, fairly good clarity. What am I going to do about it? How can I reconceptualize it? How can I see this and it's happened? It's a reality. It's part of what was my what my life was. But how can I make this work for me? What are the triggers? What are the patterns? What can I work out? And then you end the work with a little act of reach, which is a little action that helps to start um, transferring all of this, weakening this, starting to build this, but tiny little versions of this. I've got a tiny one. I dropped it on the floor over here. There you go. I'm starting to build these tiny little versions of the tree. So I'm transferring the energy from there to there. But I now need to every day practice that little bit of work that I've done. So on the first day, you may just see I'm anxious, my gut sore, I'm withdrawing, life sucks. And it's coming from feeling out of control at work. That's maybe all I see the first day from all that work. It's definitely being triggered when I think of work. And um, that's, you haven't seen everything, but you started. So your act of reach that day would be, okay, I'm not crazy. This is okay. I can do this. I'm, there's a reason why I feel like this. Um, and so every time, then you go out for the day and do your work and do whatever. And every time you find yourself going back to there's something wrong with me, you grab that act of reach and you say, no, that's not the case, whatever. So you just repeat, it's a little statement. And that's where the positive affirmation can come in. But be careful of how you say it. Instead of saying, I can do it, say, I'm trying to do it. Or instead of saying, um, this will be fine. Eventually, it's going to be okay. I'm on the pro, you know, so giving yourself more leeway. Also visualizing a beautiful image. So you discipline yourself with the act of reach to not go back and ruminate and overthink and overgeneralize. You don't want to give this thing energy. You want to keep it weakened so that you can over time rebuild into the into the space that you want to move towards. There you go. These are birds out you. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. I've loved speaking to you today. I feel like it's been five minutes. I feel like we could go on for hours and hours, but I will let you go now. Before you go, could you please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find the book, where they can find the app, and where they can find more from yourself? Absolutely. Well, um, my uh, social media handle is Dr. Caroline Leaf. Um, my webpage, drleaf.com. The book's available wherever books are sold. I've got lots of other books too. And the NeuroCycle app, you can go to NeuroCycle, or you can get there from the, from the Instagram page. Um, this is available on iTunes and Google Play, the, the actual app, which is, you know works nicely with the others. And I have a podcast called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess where I also unpack all these concepts. Amazing. I'll make sure all that is linked in the description below. Dr. Caroline Leaf, thank you so much for coming on. And I hope that I get to speak to you again sometime soon. Thank you so much. It's been a great interview. I've enjoyed it. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Freedom Pact podcast. Before you go, just one final reminder, one little bit of housekeeping. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. It genuinely takes about five to ten seconds and it helps us out so much. So we would really appreciate if you could do that. Also, come and join us on YouTube where all these episodes are available in video format as well as highlights, clips and best bits. There's a lot more of exclusive content that appears on the YouTube channel. So you may want to consider checking us out at youtube.com forward slash Freedom Pact. We also produce a healthy, wealthy and wise newsletter. There's no spam. There's no marketing. Don't worry about that. It's simply a newsletter where either Joe or myself will write about our favorite things that we learned that week through podcasts, books, articles, research in the topics of health, wealth and wisdom. We also recommend a book of the week and ask you guys a question of the week. So please consider checking us out and joining the newsletter at freedompact.co.uk forward slash newsletter. It's completely free and takes a couple of seconds to join. So hopefully we'll see you there and hopefully I'll see you back here again wherever you're listening on next week's episode of the Freedom Pack podcast.